0: In the season of Easter, I want to welcome you to worship at First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. I'm Sandra O'wine, and I serve as pastor here. And along with our staff and the entire congregation, we hope that this hour will inspire you for joyful and transformative living in the world. Now we give thanks for the increasing availability of COVID-19 vaccinations and look forward to being able to gather for in-person worship soon. In a commitment to the safety of all of our members and the larger community though, we continue to exercise patience, trusting that the spirit will continue to bind us together even as we remain physically distanced from one another in worship. So in the hope, power and promise of resurrection, let us turn our hearts to prayer, praise and proclamation.
1: It is, in fact, a way of life, so we can gather in our separate places in joy because we believe that even now God is creating us anew, bringing hope and possibility from despair and dead ends. With an Alleluia spirit then, please join us in the call to worship. Sing to the Lord a new song, for the Lord has done marvelous things. God's right hand and holy arm have worked salvation.
2: We give thanks to you, Lord, for you have done marvelous things. When we were walking in darkness,
1: you were there.
2: When we were kneeling in weakness, you were there.
1: When we drew near feeling worthless,
2: you were there. When we were needing forgiveness,
1: you were there.
2: When we were searching for your grace, you were there.
1: We give thanks to you, O Lord.
2: For you have done marvelous things.
3: Prayer is the heart's sincere desire to be in relationship with the God who restores,
2: renews, and resurrects us again and again. In a spirit of anticipation, then, please join me in the prayer of the day. Creator of life, in raising Christ Jesus up through, out of, and beyond the chains of death, you open for us the way to eternal and abundant life. May our alleluias on this day float high above the ceiling of what we think we know and transcend to the heaven of what we believe and thus live. Raise us up, renew our lives, resurrect our dreams. Through Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Amen.
4: Good morning, young Christians, and happy Easter. Today is the fourth Sunday of the season of Easter. And today we're remembering and celebrating something that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus liked to give examples from just everyday things in the world to help his disciples understand him and know who he was and what he was all about. So one of the examples that Jesus gave is he told his disciples that he was like a good shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is someone who takes care of, that's right, sheep. So Jesus said that he was like a good shepherd who cares for and loves his sheep. Now, Jesus gave the example of someone who is a hired hand, somebody who is hired to take care of some sheep just for a little while. He said, if a person who is hired to take care of sheep for just a little while, if all of a sudden a big scary wolf showed up, what would that hired person do? Would that hired person stand up to the wolf and risk his life to save those sheep? Probably not, right? That hired person would run away. But Jesus said that he is the good shepherd and he would be willing to lay down his life to protect his sheep. Jesus said that hired person doesn't know those sheep or care for them. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me." You see, Jesus cared for each and every sheep. It feels good to be known and cared for, doesn't it? You know, the whole reason we have this story is because John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote it all down. And now we have it as a book in the Bible called the Gospel or the Good News According to John. In John's gospel, he talks about himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. But John knew that he wasn't the only one that Jesus loved. He tells the story about how Jesus compared himself to a good shepherd who loves and cares for all of his sheep. And you know what else Jesus said? Jesus said, I have other sheep who do not belong to this He said, They hear my voice also, and I'm bringing them along so that there can be one shepherd and one flock. As Jesus' disciples, it's important to know that Jesus is like our good shepherd, who will stand up against the big bad wolves, who cares for us and knows us by name. And that Jesus has other sheep. Sheep that aren't in our group, that aren't in our church, that aren't in our community. Sheep who maybe are a little bit different than we are. Sheep that don't like all the same things we like, do all the same things we do. Sheep who live differently, love differently, And just like we are the disciples that Jesus loves, the sheep that the good shepherd calls by name, Jesus calls them too, brings them along so that we can be one flock with one shepherd. I wonder if this week you could notice who is outside of my flock? Who is in a different group? who does things a little differently than me. Maybe someone that you don't always want to play with or include. And remember that Jesus knows their name, loves them and cares for them just like you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for Jesus who loves us and cares for us like a good shepherd. Help us to follow him. And help us to include all of Jesus' sheep.
5: The first scripture lesson on this fourth Sunday of Easter comes from the first letter of John, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. Listen for the word of God as contained in this reading. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees brother or sister in need? and yet refuses help. Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his good commandments and do what pleases him. And this is a commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: We turn to John's Gospel this morning, to a reading that is assigned every year on the fourth Sunday of Easter, a day that centers our hearts on the image of Jesus as shepherd. Hear the word of God as proclaimed by John in chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd, does not and does not own sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received the command from my Father. The word of God, from the, for the people of God. Thanks be to
3: God.
0: Oh, great, we're so glad to continue the conversation uh, with Diana Butler Bass this morning on her newest book, Freeing Jesus. Uh, Diana, thank you again for uh, joining us for for week two. Uh, and today, I want to really prim- primarily focus on the conversation um, around the. What I found were the sort of two really sort of human categories that you came up with of Jesus as friend and teacher, uh, because I think those are categories, of course, we all have in our own lives. And so they're, they're ones that I think are accessible because we have lots of memories and encounters with friends and teachers. You know, you share as how as a child, uh, Jesus' friend was your earliest relationship with him. And now over the years, that understanding what friend means has grown and changed. You just play with with us a little bit about, you know, your own growth and change and thought about that, that image of Jesus as friend. Uh,
6: I loved this chapter and it it might be the chapter that surprised me the most um, while I was writing it because, you know, how often do we give ourselves permission to go back and remember when we were three, four or five years old? Um, We don't very often. And as I did that, I really saw myself from a whole bunch of angles that I had never really uh, attended to before. And so that, you know, one of the first uh pictures in the book is sitting in a Sunday school classroom in a Methodist church in Baltimore where it was a church that my grandparents helped to found. And um I'm listening to my Sunday school teacher, Miss Jean. You can still remember her name. I still remember what she looked like. And um, she was telling a story about Jesus loving the little children. And she held up a picture. And the picture was of Jesus surrounded by all these little children. And one of the kids in the picture uh, was a little girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. She had her head on Jesus' shoulder. This whole story says so much. One, it says a lot about representation. You know, I saw myself in this picture. And um, two, you know, it's just an, it's an image of friendship as a little girl who feels comfortable enough to put herself on Jesus' shoulder. And I just remember all the, the warm feelings of, oh, that's me. You know, I'm there. I'm in the picture with Jesus. And um, to feel that simplicity, and the, the even the kind of nostalgic sense of warmth and love that is wrapped up around that. And so, so I think those first two chapters, actually, that you, you point to, there's a lot of uh, nostalgic memory um, functioning in those chapters, and I hope in ways that are productive, not just in ways that are like, you know, pink tinted glasses. But um, so, so you ask about a little bit more, you know, sort of beyond that. Um, I think to move from that simple child memory and to write it, write it in the language, the closest language I could uh, approximate of being four or five, um, is a different thing than being sixty-two and working on a book. And and so I began this exploration of well, what does that mean? What does it, what does it say theologically? You know that that my first memory is this idea of friendship. And yet I can, I can probably count the number of sermons that I've heard about friendship in churches on, you know, on a single hand. And so I went on kind of a journey with this idea through scripture, um, in both the Hebrew texts and in the, in the new Testament. And lo and behold, this is actually a major theme, uh, throughout the Bible. And that's where the surprise came, you know, is that really as a three, four or five year old little tiny kid, when I'm having these first experiences of friendship and church and Jesus being my friend, um, I was actually reenacting in some ways, um, one of the most profound biblical narratives that there is. And, you know, this this the short and easy version of it is that in the, the Hebrew scriptures it's God refers to most of the patriarchs and matriarchs of israel as god's friends and that's that's remarkable because in the ancient world all the other cultures that are around israel um gods are not the friends of regular people walking around on the earth um the gods do all sorts of things to regular people they 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 force people to their knees to make them worship them they They get mad at people and they say, give me these sacrifices and then I'll be happy with you and your crops will grow again. Um, Sometimes in lots of different mythologies of the ancient Near East, uh, you get gods who come to earth and rape women. I mean, these are not nice gods uh, that surrounded the, the, the culture of Israel. And yet Israel's God is primarily a God who is seeking to be friends. Uh, with those who will be faithful and who proclaim god 's love and justice and so so you get this whole line of friendship um in in the Hebrew scriptures, and that just i mean almost makes me cry it 's so beautiful and and i and so with that in mind, turning to the New Testament and understanding how deeply steep Jesus is in these stories, I started looking for this and um the most obvious is the verse in John where Jesus says, "I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends," um, and that's that's become one of my my favorite verses in the New Testament since writing this book. But um, it's it's present in a lot of different ways that are that's more subtle about when Jesus is hanging around with the disciples and sort of what's happening there and the you know the relationship I think between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Um, although our culture loves to think about it as a sexual relationship, it certainly was an incredible male-female friendship. And so here you have in the New Testament friendship showing up again, but it's not with the the special people of the of the Hebrew scriptures, the matriarchs and patriarchs who you know are called out in all these extraordinary ways by God. And it's with regular people it's with tax collectors and, and sinners and, you know, a bunch of women and, and fishermen and all kinds of really kind of ragged folks. And now these people find themselves in friendship with God. And I think that that's not a superseding thing of the Old Testament. I think the Old Testament foreshadows, um, our understanding of a friendship seeking God and that, um, Christians, by and large, have lost that emphasis, and so for us to recover it and understand that this is a really important part of Jesus' Jewish framework, is that God is the one who is seeking uh, the friendship of humankind, and so so I I mean, what could be more grown up than that? I mean, now I just think to myself, the the way I knew Jesus when I was three speaks to where I am exactly right now at 62. And what a mind-blowing kind of way of understanding a spiritual journey is that, is the first way that I understood God is actually probably one of the deepest, most profound, and most mysterious ways that I'm now re-exploring and love.
0: Yeah, I love that section, uh, this whole section of this book. Um, And you find sort of rediscovering uh, that sacredness of friendship and and the sacredness of God, God wanting to be friends with us. I mean, it's just, as you said, it it does make you tear up because it's just such a, it's such an intimate um, and accessible relationship.
6: One of the, um, and, and, is the case in all of my books. Not only do I quote Bible and theology and Christian tradition, but I, I quote lots of you know lots of psychology and sociology and stuff like that. and And uh, one of the books I read on friendship uh, that was just from a you know regular old secular psychologist, and there was this line that I just loved is that even children know that a friend is someone you trust and can play with. And I just went, oh my gosh. What a thought, you know, (laughs) is that's, that's Jesus. That's in the Christian vision, that's God. Um, You know, he said, God is, Jesus is someone we can trust and play with. And (laughs) it's just like, I'm running out to the playground right now because that's what I want to do. And talk about freeing Jesus, especially in a pandemic, is that we've been so isolated from others whom we can trust and play with. And and so we're ready, you know, we want to get on that playground. We want to be back in those rooms full of trust. Uh, and so so it, I just think that, you know, my heart is crying out yeah. <laughs> for for the playground right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I
0: really, really appreciate how you also on the, the, going on with the John text where Jesus says that, you know, um, no, no greater love is, than this is that one would lay down one's life for their friends. And you're right. We tend to look at that only in the sense of the crucifixion, right? That's coming, and so we, it becomes a, an unaccessible kind of uh, event, or it's like a singular event that happened to Jesus. But um, or we get into thinking it's this magnet. You know, we've got to protect somebody or running running into a burning building or something. But you you take it in a, and you take it out of that major framework. So yes, sometimes that might happen, right? We're going to save somebody from a burning building. But more often, what are those things that we have to lay down those things in our lay down for friends, you know, Um, I thought pride, you know, uh, we might have to lay down our pride, we have to lay down our assumptions, we might, you know, there's things that we lay down um, uh, for, for friendship to grow and to develop. Um, So what are some things that right now we might need to lay down
6: to let our friendship with Jesus grow? Oh gosh, what a great question! I think that you need to explore that with the congregation. <laughs> now I'm going to be thinking about it for weeks. I told you last week that um, you know I've been learning my own book. You know, as I've been uh, in conversation with people about it, that's a really that's a that's a really good a really good question. Yeah, you know, I think about a lot of the times when I haven't been able to lay down something, and it's been the thing that broke the friendship, you know, and, yeah, you know, I've, I actually wrote in grateful about those friendships, uh, a friendship where in effect, my own pride and my own envy really got in the way of, of gratitude, which was the thing that was needed to restore friendship. And, and so, you know, it, it's hard to look at yourself like that sometime and say what is what is it going on with me you know that's stopping this from really really happening I feel pretty vulnerable and pretty open about Jesus right now. I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay okay thinking about that that vulnerability and all the crazy things I've had to let go of because I just put them in the pages of this book. Um, but what I do know is that this is a journey that will continue on. And there's the things that are still invisible to me that I'll, I just have to wait for time to unfold and give me a clearer vision.
0: It just really struck me. And so I I, I too am living with that question, you know, the,
6: the, the
0: things of laying down. So uh, you move then into the next chapter with a teacher, which is another, um, for many people, uh, a powerful image and, and certainly a, a life-shaping image for all of us. Um, many of us positively, but there are for some people, that's been the negative, you know, they have had negative experiences or whatever with teaching, but um, what I really appreciated um, in this book as you talk, you sort of move Jesus from the, not a, a teaching of, not teaching to the test, you know, um, right, they sort of like, not give you just the simple rules, learn these rules, and this is all you have to do, and you pass, and then you go on and do your life, but really the sense that Jesus, teach, the sense of Jesus as teacher is sort of a sage, as a wisdom bearer um so just um what what more would you like us to think about that as as we as in and, and how that image also grew and changed for you in time understanding this jesus as not rule rule bearer but wisdom bearer
6: that that chapter is another one that i really enjoyed writing yeah you know, i for some reason these two earlier chapters call out a lot of uh I think just sort of work for me that that was helpful, and so I, I think that those that sense communicates itself in in these two chapters. Um, with teacher, I do talk about Jesus and the rules, um, which is interesting because one might expect that I would walk by that, uh, but I, I don't, and I talk about my earliest memories of you know Jesus as giving us gold stars and Jesus um, teaching us rules and commands and that these were pretty important parts of my, my growing up. You know, I was actually, I was in, I was talking to a podcaster yesterday and um, we grew up rather differently. He grew up in evangelicalism and I grew up in pretty liberal Methodism in Baltimore city. And he, he said, you know, after all of this, you know, what is your memory of Jesus? And I said, Is Jesus saying, love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And um, that's for me, one of the earliest things. And it's the most sustaining thing. It's what Jesus taught. And in effect, those are the rules, that's the command. And uh, our job is to to do that stuff. And so, so, but then I do segue into other kinds of teaching that Jesus does. And I love the parables, for example, Jesus is a master storyteller. And it's the parables that become the springboard in integrating Jesus as one who instructs and one who also then draws people uh, through stories into a far more mysterious place um, an awareness of God. And so when you put those two things together, That's what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't just the rules. Wisdom is not just a bunch of arcane stories. Um, I think in every really great religious tradition, wisdom is when those two things come together um, around a compelling narrative of the person who is embodying that. And so you can think of the Buddha that way. I think you can think of Moses that way. Certainly, Jesus that way. There are rules, there are stories, and then there's the 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 witness to the truth of those things in the life of that person. So, so that's the kind of teacher Jesus is. Um, uh, I towards the end of the chapter, I quoted a friend who I don't mention this in the chapter, but she's actually an atheist and um she gave the eulogy for wade this is you're in california so you all get this uh she gave the eulogy for wade clark roof who was for many years the chair of the religious studies department at ucsb and um, I, I knew Clark uh, really well. Uh, we went to church together in Santa Barbara. And uh, the the woman who gives this uh, eulogy, her name is Julie. Her name is not in the text. And she's my best friend. She was my maid of honor at my wedding. And so uh, she was one of Clark's sort of dearest students. You know, teachers usually have one of those. And, um, and uh, Julie got up at the eulogy in front of the... American Academy of Religion meeting, which was held that year in San Diego and gave this story about how Clark used to give these amazing dinner parties. And she said about this, uh, that Clark invited people to the table. He instructed us and he set us free. And she sent me a copy of the eulogy because I wasn't able to be in San Diego for the, the, the service. And when I read those lines, I thought to myself. Nobody's ever written a better description of Jesus as as a teacher than than my atheist friend Julie. He brought us to the table, he instructed us, and he set us free. And that's what great teachers do. And that's the wisdom teacher. That's that's the image that I was trying to capture in that in that chapter. I, I loved how probably the best wisdom about that whole chapter came from my friend who isn't a Christian.
0: Just yeah. to close this uh, this week out, I pretty much marked up all of page sixty one in your book uh, as you described sort of the type of teacher Jesus was there at the end, and you know, invitational, uh, you know that we would know a wildly gifting God who creates everything, turns authority upside down, shatters pretense of power, who proclaims a kingdom of the heart who brings the poor outcast, forgotten to an endless feast. Uh, it sort of goes back to what you just were, the quote you just said, you know, how does such a notion of Jesus as teacher really transform and free who Jesus can be for any of us
6: and for the world? Oh, this is, a this, this has surprised me. Many of the people who have interviewed me to this point about freeing Jesus have been people who are now ex-evangelicals. And one of the things that, is astonishing about these interviews is that they never knew Jesus's teacher. I literally was talking to these uh, these two young men who have a, a really good podcast that's focused on people who used to be evangelicals. And they were telling me about their earliest memories of Jesus. You know, and their earliest memories of Jesus were, you know, Jesus is going to send you to hell, you know, Jesus hanging on the, bloody on the cross, all these sorts of things. And I said, gosh, that's really scary. I'm so glad I grew up Methodist, where my earliest memories were friend and teacher. And the, one of the guys said, that image of teacher is revolutionary to me. Because in the evangelical church where he grew up, you were not supposed to think of Jesus as a teacher. Uh, Jesus was either Lord or he was a liar or a lunatic to use this old quote um, that was copped from C.S. Lewis and brought into evangelicalism by a, a writer called Josh McDowell in the 1970s. And, and he said, we weren't allowed to think of Jesus as a teacher. We thought that was milk toast. We thought that was soft. That was feminine. And um, he said, when I read that teacher chapter, I cried. And so, so when he, when he, and, and the other, the other uh, fellow who was a host were talking to me about this, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, you know, this was one of the just givens of my life growing up Methodist. And yet here are these people who are starving to death to understand Jesus as teacher, and we wound up talking about this chapter for almost all of the podcast. And that, in and of itself, to me, you know, it just reveals the power of teacher to really set people free. And then, of course, it takes me back to the biblical narrative itself, because who was, G- you know, who was Jesus to the people who followed him at first? It, it was that he was their teacher, and. Of all of the titles of Jesus, all of the titles and all the words that I use in the, in the subtitle in this book, the, the one that appears most often in the Gospels is rabbi, teacher. And, and, you know, here we are in the Easter season. Um, You were talking about the Mark story where the three women come to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. Jesus has been freed by forces much bigger than ourselves. Um, And uh, yet I love the John story where it's only Mary Magdalene who comes to the tomb. They're the two angels who meet her there and she's crying and she's upset. And uh, she hears this noise and there's a, Jesus is there and Jesus says, why are you weeping? And she thinks that Jesus is the gardener. And yet, you know, when the question, why are you weeping happens? She, she obviously turns around, she looks and she recognizes Jesus. And her first word is not savior or uh, risen one or any of those sorts of things. No, she says, Rabboni she calls him teacher. That's the first title after the resurrection that any of Jesus' closest friends called him. And if, if it was good enough for Mary Magdalene and it was good enough for those people who first knew Jesus, man, we need to recover how truly deeply radical uh, the title teacher is. Friend is a rich theological theme that's warm and calls us to a new place of understanding about God. But teacher calls us into the radical life of Jesus himself and shapes us, I think, in ways that we can't even begin to understand.
0: Well, you've given us a lot to think about today, and it'll be a great uh, conversation as we follow up after worship. And so I look forward to week three. So thank you. You're setting us up for a good, uh, good series here. We'll see you next week.
7: Let us pray. Creator God, we give you thanks and praise for the earth that you have made and for all of our many blessings. These things provide us with all that we need and with even more to share with others. As spring arrives, your creation itself shows forth the new life that is made possible by the dormancy of winter. In raising Christ from the dead, you have shown us that new life in you is found whenever we lay down our lives for others. And so, as we seek to follow your way, we pray now for the whole world, for your church, and for this congregation. Hear our prayers for the nations and for all people. Inspire political leaders with an understanding that they are to be servants of all. We pray for the replacement of corruption and cynicism with renewed cooperation and self-sacrifice, from the cop on the beat all the way up to the Oval Office. Raise up a generation of public servants who will reimagine their calling to be laying down their lives for the improvement of the social fabric, not grabbing for their own power and influence at any cost. O God, in the meantime, Use us to ameliorate suffering on the part of those our systems have left behind. Embolden us to use our personal influence and resources in ways that build your blessed community, that bring forth new life from the desolation of selfishness and violence that surrounds us now. Bless your Church wherever your holy name is lifted this day. Although our church is currently frozen by a winter of disagreements and division, we trust that you can bring forth new life, even from our brokenness. As we continue to expend our energy on internal struggles, lift our eyes to your call to lay down our lives for others. To worship and serve you is our highest purpose, O God. We pray for our Bishop Grant and Superintendent Jim and we continue to pray for Amy Aitken as she prepares to assume the leadership of this congregation. Strengthen the work of all your people and hear the prayers offered across our district today for the people of Friendly Valley Community United Methodist Church in Newhall and at Lancaster United Methodist Church. God of mercy and grace, send your spirit of compassion on all who suffer this day in mind, body, or spirit. We pray for the homeless, for the forgotten and the lonely. We pray for those suffering from the coronavirus and all who have laid down their lives to serve them. We pray for those who mourn the dead, the countless families who have lost loved ones to COVID, but also those who grieve the loss of any kind send hope to those who await economic recovery after this long year of want. We lift now before you all the persons and situations that are found in today's prayer list, especially Bob and Nancy Hardaway. We pray all of these things as faithful followers of Christ, who became a servant, humbled himself, and was obedient even unto death on a cross. And so it is in solidarity with him that we recall the words he taught disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining in this time of online worship from First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. Please take a moment right now to download this week's bulletin, and then you can refer to it during the week. A link to the PDF version can be found in the video description. A class about end-of-life planning called Ending Well begins tomorrow, led by our own Janet Logan. This class is not just for elders, and so I encourage you to make a plan whatever your stage of life is. Full details about the class can be found in today's bulletin. I know you're enjoying the chance to get to know Diana Butler Bass as she continues to be in discussion with Pastor Sandy these four weeks. Romans Bookstore, is making copies of her book, Freeing Jesus, available to us at a discount. And so I encourage you to support them as a local business. You can see details about how to do that in today's bulletin. The book is also widely available on Kindle and other electronic platforms. It has been a long time since we've seen actual altar flowers, but we are grateful to Marilyn Wylander, who contributed imaginary altar flowers today in honor of her husband Roger's 81st birthday. The money that would have gone to the florist was given to our Tuesday social service ministry. Happy birthday, Roger. Remember to use the online giving website. You can find a link in the video description or simply click on the donate button on the church's website. Connect at fumcpasadena.org is the email address to use when you need to reach the clergy staff with your prayer requests and life events. Be well, get vaccinated, and remember to wear a mask, at least most of the time.